0: So today we're pressing pause on the message series we've been in in the book of Hebrews so that today I can share my heart for Jesus and his church as a part of the lead pastor journey here. And you know, as I thought about today, and as I think about this moment, it could be really easy for me today to speak this message in such a way as to win your approval and to impress you, but I don't want to do that today. Instead, I want to take this time we have together today to talk about Jesus because Jesus is what matters most. And so what I hope over these next few moments that uh, we would come together and that you would hear about Jesus and the kind of community that gets formed when Jesus is present. And in that, I hope you hear my heart for Jesus and for the church. And so let's get into this. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 9 to 13 together today. And if you're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, it's one of the biographies of Jesus. It tells a story about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for you and for me. And when we come to Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is in a city called Capernaum. And while he's there, this happens. Read with me, starting in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This story takes place in the middle of a a larger story that is being told about Jesus. There's a story, as I said, about his life and his death and his resurrection. There's the story about the rule and reign of God breaking into Time and space and how you and I can enter into and live by its ways. There's this bigger story being told. And then in this stretch of Matthew, there's this story being told about who Jesus is and his ability and power to heal the hurting places of our lives. In this chapter and the ones before it and the ones after, we meet a Jesus who is immensely powerful and incredibly good. He's so powerful that when he speaks, storms stop and disease disappears. He's so powerful that the lame walk, the blind see, and the dead come back to life. And so we see this Jesus who's powerful, whose power is greater than nature and creation and disease and even death. But he's not just a, a God who's powerful, he's also good over and over again in this stretch of Matthew's gospel we see Jesus willingly steps step into the lives of the hurting and the broken to bring healing and hope into their lives this is the Jesus that we meet in this part of Matthew a Jesus with both the willingness and the power to restore the broken places of our lives and in the middle of all this with all these miraculous things happening there's a story about a tax collector named Matthew, which might seem odd and even out of place with all these miraculous things happening around it, but I don't think it's out of place. In fact, I think this story is here because it too has something to say about Jesus and the healing of our souls through relationship with him and others. So as we come to this story in Matthew 9, I don't just see a story about a tax collector. In fact, what I see is a picture of a church that I want to be a part of and help build with God's help. And so, Matthew 9. If you look at this story from a 30,000-foot level, one of the things it reveals is that healing begins in the presence of Jesus, but it continues in community with others. You see this in the way the story unfolds. First, there's this individual healing as Matthew encounters Jesus by his tax booth. And then there's a community that makes room for healing to happen afterwards. Both are important, both are needed. It's not one or the other, but it's a bringing together of both so that wholeness and healing can begin to be experienced in our lives. So that's the view from 30,000 feet. But what about on the ground? What's happening there? What do we see when we bring this down to the ground level? Well, we see people. We see people with wounds and fears and broken dreams. We see people with relational baggage and pain. We see people with broken stories who are in need of healing and hope. What we see is people like you and like me the people of our city, our friends and our family members, our co-workers and our classmates. We see people who need Jesus and a place to experience his love, his grace, his truth, and his healing. So this story is about healing that begins with an encounter with Jesus and then it goes into community with others, but it's also a story about people and what they need and what they're searching for and longing for and looking for. And. Here's the reality, and maybe you don't even need to hear this, but it's the reality that we that is is true and is real and is for every single person that we meet and we encounter is that people are looking for what Jesus has to offer. They are. They may not know it, but they are looking for what Jesus has to offer. And they're more open to it than we might realize. Yeah, they might be skeptical, but they're curious. They're interested. They're searching. They're on a quest to find answers that only Jesus has. They're on a quest to find hope that only Jesus can offer. This is the reality of being a human in our world. And sadly, sometimes people go to church looking for Jesus, but they never have the opportunity to find him because of how the church operates. I was reading something recently by the the pastor um, who shared the gospel with me for the first time. His name's Jim Bergen. He writes this about the church in his book, No More Dragons. He says there are too many churches that stand in the way of people connecting with Jesus because they put off the vibe that you need to have your life together before you can walk through the doors. There are too many churches that relish in telling people they're sinners. People don't go to church for that. People come to church with that. We already know the truth about ourselves. What we are looking for is hope and the possibility of grace. See, I don't know about you, but it is a scary thing to think that I might be getting in the way of somebody encountering Jesus. That I might be getting in the way of someone finding hope and grace that they've been searching for. But sadly, it happens. It can happen and it does happen. And I don't, I don't think Central Heights is a place like this at all. I think Central Heights is a place that opens doors rather than closes them on people trying to find Jesus. But I do think that far too many people come to church looking for bread and all they get is stones. And that's not the church Jesus envisioned. That's not the church he died for. What he had in mind was something better, something deeper, something much different with a different kind of heartbeat. And we see a little of what that looks like in this little story about a tax collector. That what Jesus had in mind was to form a community where he was present and healing is possible for the hurting and the lost and the wounded. That's what Jesus had in mind. And we see this start to play out in verse 9 when Matthew encounters Jesus. Go back there with me now. Verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed Jesus. If you read the stories about Jesus, one of the things you notice about him is the way he invites unexpected and underappreciated people to follow him. Over and over again, Jesus loved people that nobody else loved. He accepted people that nobody else accepted. He spent time with people that nobody wanted to spend time with. Read the stories about Jesus. You cannot miss it. Jesus made room for the people that nobody else had room for, the marginalized, the outcast, the overlooked and ignored, the socially awkward, the disliked, the lost, and the least. And to use the labels that were common in Jesus' day, the unclean and the sinner. See, Jesus made room for all of them. He, He made room for someone like Matthew. And you might hear that and you might think, wait, what? Hold on a second. Someone like Matthew? Like, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that Matthew was not somebody who got a lot of Christmas cards. He wasn't well liked. In fact, Matthew, because of his choices and the job he does, it made him one of the most hated and looked down upon people in Jesus' day. See, if you were to put yourself in Jesus' time and in this culture, if you were a tax collector at this time, people saw you as a traitor and as corrupt. You were a traitor because you worked for the enemy Rome and you collected taxes for them to just feed the juggernaut that is the Roman Empire. You were corrupt because more than that, you actually added an extra tax upon the one the Romans taxed so that you could line your own pockets. You took from people who were struggling to make ends meet, who were poor, who barely had any money, and you took that money to line your own pockets to have an easy and comfortable life. See, tax collectors in Jesus' day were known to be like this. They took advantage of people who were struggling to get by, and they did it while working for the Romans who were hated. And so Matthew... His own people saw him as a traitor, as corrupt, as among the lowest of the low in society, and they treated him like that. He was an outcast among his own people, disliked, ostracized, and even hated. This was his life until Jesus shows up and says, Matthew, follow me. I mean, this was completely unexpected. Respected leaders like Jesus did not do something like this. They didn't have tax collectors as friends or as followers. It just didn't happen. It was out of the norm. It was completely unexpected. And yet, Jesus looks at Matthew and says, come live your life with me. Learn from me. Be a part of this community I'm building. Join me in what I'm doing in the world. It's an unexpected invite to an underappreciated person. But that's Jesus. And that's what makes Jesus so beautiful and his invitation so powerful because he loves those the rest of the world deems unlovable. He welcomes those the rest of the world rejects. He sees beyond what everyone else sees to the person and the potential they have. Because look at this. Jesus knew all about Matthew. He knew about the money he'd stolen. He knew how he had extorted people. Jesus knew it all. He knew his mistakes. He knew about his choices, but that didn't stop him from saying, Matthew, will you follow me? See, this kind of invitation from Jesus is so powerful because if you're told enough times over the course of your life that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy of love, that you're not worth anyone's time or attention, that there's something wrong with you, that you're not worth sticking around for, if you're told things like this over and over again, over time, you begin to believe it's true. And so when Jesus shows up and he says, follow me, it can be really difficult to believe that he really does want you to follow him, that he really does want to live his life with you. And you know, for me, that's been a barrier I've had to get over a lot in the years that I've been following Jesus. It's something that I actually wrestled with a lot when I first encountered Jesus in my mid-20s. See, for most of my life, up until that moment when I first heard the good news about Jesus, is I thought that God was real, I believed he existed, but I didn't think he was relevant or compelling to my life. And I lived that way. God was out there. He didn't matter as much as he should have in my life. And that's because no one ever told me just how beautiful and how good Jesus was. And when I felt Jesus knocking on the door of my life and inviting me to follow him, i got to admit, I was skeptical at first that he really did want me because I had treated him this way and my experience of people and how they had treated me really got in the way of me saying, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Even this past year, as Kath and I have been trying to figure out what God has been asking of us as this opportunity came up to maybe help lead Central Heights Church. We wrestled with God, are we called to this? Is this a part of your dream for us, God? Who are we to be considered for this? Do we have what it takes? Are you sure, God? Are you really calling us to this, me to this? And in that wrestling, it was not easy, but we did feel, Jesus say, come to where I am, follow me. And so we did. But we had to fight the lies and the doubts and the words spoken over us and all of that. And I'm sure, I'm not alone in this. I'm sure that as you hear this, there's things spoken over you that are playing out in your life. There are things that are coming up for you that you've experienced that make you think Jesus doesn't actually want you and want you to follow him. But know this your past, your present, and your future. It is not a barrier to Jesus inviting you to live your life with him. All he wants to know is, will you follow me? Will you go where I go, and will you do what I ask you to do? That's it. Can you see that today? Can you believe that it's true? Because it is. And for Matthew... On this day, he took the risk to believe that it was actually true, and he responded to Jesus' invitation by getting up from his chair and following Jesus. And this moment, it actually has weight. Not just in a physical sense, but actually in a spiritual sense as well. Because if you look at that word rose in verse nine, it comes from the same family of words that are used to talk about the resurrection. Which means that Matthew, In this moment, when he chooses to believe that Jesus does really want him and he rises from his chair, it carries with it the idea of resurrection, that this moment is Matthew rising to a new life. It's a new start, it's a new day for him. The life he was living is left behind. It's a new day for Matthew. Healing has begun in the presence of Jesus. And look, it wasn't all figured out in that moment. All the hurt and the pain didn't just disappear, but it was the beginning of a journey with Jesus that would lead to wholeness and to healing in greater and greater ways. That's where it starts. It starts with an encounter with Jesus, but notice, that's not where it ends. In verse 9, healing begins with an encounter with Jesus, and then in verse 10 and afterwards, healing continues in community with others. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Behold many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, "Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners?" So after the scene at the tax booth, Matthew has Jesus over, his, over to his house. He has Jesus's followers to his house and he invites all his friends, and everything is going well until the religious folks show up and have something to say about it all. And that religious group is called the Pharisees, and they were a group in Jesus's day that were known for elevating rules over people and who saw themselves as guardians of right and wrong and who was in and who was out. Read throughout the stories, they were Jesus's biggest critics, and they often bumped heads with Jesus because they couldn't quite figure out and get on board with the way things Jesus did, the things that Jesus did. Like here, they see Jesus relaxing and enjoying himself with people that they don't think he should be with and they ask his followers, why does your teacher eat with those kinds of people? Why do you, Jesus, hang out with those kinds of people? You know, the ones with bad reputations that don't do things the right way. Why are you hanging out with people like that? You know, this is one of the questions that Jesus got ask the most is, why do you spend time with the lost and the broken outcasts of the world? And religious people are going to ask that kind of questions. And when they do that, they're actually missing something that is at the heart of Jesus's mission and what he came to do in our world. In one of the other stories about Jesus called the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is in a temple and uh, he stands up and he describes what he came to do like this. In Luke chapter 4, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, the heart of Jesus' mission is the wounded, the neglected, the ignored, the abused, the lost, the violated. When Jesus came, his eyes were on the poor in spirit, those who were imprisoned, people who were weighed down by life. He came to bring good news to them and to bring a life of freedom for them. He didn't come to explain which people were in and which people were out. He didn't come to lay heavy burdens on people. He didn't come to just spend time with the put together, the elite, and those at the top of the food chain. No, Jesus came to give hope to hurting people and make an abundant life available to them. That's why Jesus came. The Pharisees missed it, and religious people miss it. That Jesus came to form a community that looked like a hospital for sick and wounded people. And this is the image Jesus uses as he responds to the question the Pharisees ask his followers. Check this out in verse 12. But when he, Jesus, heard it, heard their question, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So who did Jesus come for? He came for the sick and the sinner, the person who had missed the mark of what God said is right, good, true, and best. He came for the unwell, the hurting, the wounded, the limping, the lost, the disillusioned, the drifting, the outcast, and the overlooked. That's who he came for. He came for the people that nobody had time for, the excluded, the ignored, the hurting, the hopeless, the lost and the least. See, through the lens of Jesus' response, we see that Jesus came to create a community that would one day become the church where the lost and the least can find a home and find mercy. The kind of community that opens its doors wide and welcomes the people that nobody else welcomes. The kind of place that doesn't just welcome people, but loves people in the same way Jesus would love them if he were us. The kind of church that is filled with people who have questions and doubts and broken stories where everyone, no matter who you are or what you've done, can have the chance to encounter Jesus and find healing and hope in him. The kind of place where the hurting can find a home. It's the kind of place that I needed when I was searching, when I was on my search. I remember at the church that I went to, I was sitting there one time, I I, I still hadn't come to faith in Jesus yet, but I was interested and I was intrigued. I was showing up and I was being wooed and drawn by Jesus. And I remember one of the pivotal moments for me was when they they showed this video of this young man who had been struggling for a long time in his life with self-esteem and doubt and even deep depression. So painful was his life that he would actually cut himself. And he shared in this video how painful his life had been and how dark his life had been. And then he shared how he had met Jesus and how Jesus had started to heal and change him and help him to see himself in a way that God saw him. And I was sitting there in this, as this video was playing and my mouth is open because my experience of church up to that point was nothing like this. They were talking about things and being real about their lives in a way I'd never seen before. And the video ended and you know what happened? people gave him a standing ovation. They celebrated, they celebrated what Jesus was doing in his life and I remember with thinking in that moment, like what kind of place is this? I've never seen anything like this, that this broken and hurting man who has been transformed by Jesus, the the celebration of that was beautiful to me and that's the place I met Jesus in and that's what I want other people to experience when they come to Central Heights Church. And it's why I love this story in Matthew 9, because in it, I see a picture of the kind of church that I want to be a part of and help build. I don't want to just read about this or talk about this. I want to live this out and see this come to life right here in this place with you. Because what I don't need and what other people don't need is to be told how they've messed up, how they've made mistakes, or be condemned for the way they're living. What they need is to be loved and to be given room to encounter Jesus. What they need is mercy, and mercy is a beautiful thing. It means having compassion. It means making room for and entering into the pain that someone is experiencing, and Jesus was a master at this, and he wanted his followers and his church to be the same. That's why he says to the Pharisees in verse 13, go and figure out what it looks like to be merciful instead of making it all about a bunch of religious rules, laws, and lectures. See, for Jesus, he says, hold on to truth because truth is important, but offer people mercy because they're desperate for it. His words here express this deep and strong desire for people to experience something different. It's more than just doing the right things. It's about offering people the mercy of being seen and loved and accepted for who they are. It's seeing people as being made in the image of God. And it always means seeing beyond the stuff that we see to their potential, not just to their present condition. That's what it means. It means Jesus wants people to experience from us what we have experienced from him, which is mercy and love. See, if you were to to drill down to the heartbeat of the message about Jesus called the gospel, is that it's a message of, of good news that says we were dead in our sins, but Jesus made us alive because God is rich in mercy and love. Ephesians 2 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, what God has done in Jesus is show us limitless mercy and he has shared a love with us unlike anything the world has ever seen. And now, incredibly, God wants the world to see something of his mercy and love through me and through you and through us. That in some way, people would experience the mercy and love of God through how we treat them and how we live together as a community. This is what Jesus is talking about, and I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a place where people come alive because they experience the love of God. I wanna be a part of a place where healing can happen and hope can be found. And one of the tragedies of our day is that people will enter the doors of the church and receive the opposite. They come looking for hope and the possibility of grace and they don't find it. And what I'm longing for and what I'm giving my life to is to see Jesus' vision for the church come alive right here in Abbotsford, BC. Because the church I see is a place of God's presence that we know Jesus is here, that we experience the manifest presence of God, that we are a community gathered around the person and the presence of Jesus. That's the church I see. I see a church of God's power, that the Holy Spirit is here and He's active and God's stuff is happening because the Spirit is unleashed and alive and doing amazing things. I see a church of prayer. A place filled with people who are hungry to pray because they want God and they want him to move. I see a church that stands on Jesus, on his truth and on his grace that makes room for the people that no one else makes room for. A place that is for the lost and the least, a people of every tribe and tongue and nation. This is the church I see. It's a place that the disillusioned and the hurting want to call home. Not a perfect church, but a church that has this heartbeat and this passion and who positions itself to see God bring this to life in our midst in greater and greater ways. That's my heart for Jesus and his church. And it's my heart as a pastor to come alongside you and help you see the beauty and the worth of Jesus and find healing and loving community so that you can be built up, you can be equipped and be sent to show the world by how you live and by what you do that Jesus is alive and he is king and there is a possibility of hope and grace for every single person. This is the church that I see. This is the church that I would love to partner with God and with you to build in the years ahead. That's my hope, that's my heart for Jesus and this church.